This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good morning. This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined this week. Joined every week, normally, by... I, in my notes, I've got by Manchester United legend Paul Parker, so I have to turn it up a little bit. I'm no less a Manchester United legend, um, although he never played for them. Um, one of my best friends, um, Manchester United youth historian, Tony Park. Um, how are you doing, Tony? You all right? I am good, mate. You? I'm very good. Um, we had the heat this week. Thankfully, the summer is over. And oh, the man, two days came and went. And now we're back to the rain. I was just, funny yeah. enough, I was saying to a friend of mine the other the other week, that because not the other week, the other day about the heat, and I said, because I grew up in Sydney and people saying, oh, you know, you, you're used to it. I said, are you crazy? I said, I remember, I remember leaving school when it when the temperature hit 100 degrees, which is what about 35, I guess. You know, they sent you home from school, and the first thing we did was we couldn't wait to get home. And then we weren't staying inside; we went out and blink and played in the heat when we were younger. But when we got older, we were, we had more sense. And then when we got older, the last thing we wanted to do is so someone said, "Oh, you know, when it's 40 degrees heat, all the Aussies are on the beach." I thought, "Are you nuts? There's no chance in a million years we, we were on the beach. It was too blinking hot." So. Yeah. Um, so it did take me back and I wasn't very comfortable. And then I, it reminded me why I like I love living in this country. Because you don't you don't get those days very often. No. Um yeah, and they've gone. They've already gone. Um I, I for one. Welcome the rain. Any all its Manchester glory. Um Tony's joining me today. We're gonna to talk over the preseason at the club um in a more specific way and also talk about Tony's best ever Manchester United youth team 11 because I was asked to do an all-time 11 the other day and Tony usually gets roped into these kind of things anyway where everyone's asking us oh what's your best 11 from this period to this period and uh, stuff but um, I named my all-time 11 and I thought um, when when people talk about the all-time youth 11 then the best person to talk to about that is obviously Tony so um, I'm glad that he's joining me today Um, so um, we'll talk about Ten Hag first of all, the, the senior team, Tony. So United have taken a bunch of youth team players away, like they always do. When I say younger players, they always take them away. So a lot of them have, have really impressed. You've got the likes of Zidane, Charlie Savage, really impressing, especially those two because they're playing in the middle of the park and they've dictated a lot of the play. Um, and Ten Hag's given them the chance to. He's given a lot of players a chance to, you know, what longer periods in games to to make an impression. 
Um, I'll ask about the youth players and how they've done in a moment, but Tenorg, I know it's very difficult to gauge from three or four games, um, but United have won them all. They've scored some good goals. They've played entertaining football. A lot of the players who, or I say a lot, a couple of the players who looked kind of bereft and lost this season, last season, are looking a little bit more energetic in the preseason. Um, it's difficult to draw too many conclusions, but are you impressed? Are you optimistic by what you've seen so far? Um, I'll answer the second question first. Because I'm old school, I think I'm just used to always being optimistic at the beginning of the season. And even even in the in the 70s and the 80s, I always thought, oh, United are going to win the league, you know, or win an FA Cup. Because I just, you, if you're not optimistic, then you might, you might as well do something else. Um, and, he, and even in the, the mid-70s when we were quite poor, early 70s when we were poor, you always were optimistic of a good season or a good cup run or something. So, so I think last year, regardless, was one of those very, very strange seasons. I was thinking about it, um, talking to some friends at the end of last season, and I'm saying I can't remember in my whole time supporting United a season so strange. Um, a season so strange where so many people wanted the season to end and so many people kind of got fed up and so many people were disillusioned. Um, and there's obvious reasons for that. Um, so in, in so to answer the, the, the second question first, I'm always optimistic and, and I'm optimistic that we can we're going to get a lot better performances this year. Um, and I'm always confident that you know the, the type of players we attract to the club are capable of winning something. Um, I'm not optimistic in winning the league. I don't think we're we're that good. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm optimistic in winning a cup competition. And I, I think you know that might be a great start for someone like Ten Hag. Um, what I'm not optimistic about is the club's infrastructure is still the same. And um, regard to you know taking the glazers out of the, the equation just for a moment, I just think the whole infrastructure of the club hasn't changed at all. We've still got the wrong people in wrong roles. There seems to be a load of chiefs, um, you know, all with their own way of doing something. And everybody, I've never seen so many employees at the club in terms of coaching roles and technical yeah. roles. And 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 who in the you know, I'm just thinking, what do they do? You know, and everyone's got their own little kingdom that they're trying to create, whatever that kingdom is. And it's just taking energy away from the first team. And and so that doesn't make me optimistic. Because until we sort out our hierarchy and the structure of the club, um, again, taking the Glazers out of the, out of the situation, um, until that happens, I'm, I've always got a concern. In terms of Ten Hag, I think he's, I think I am, I'm happy with what he's done. All he can do is do what he's done. He's, He's taken the right players away pre-season. He's not commenting on the Ronaldo thing. He's just kind of distanced himself from that. So nobody really knows what's going on there. Um, I don't have any inside information at all about anything going on with that. So we just have to wait and see. Um, he's focusing on getting the job done. Um, I think with his selections, it's he's making it really clear his, his early impressions. So, for example, the fact that Tellez can't get a game at left fullback um, is really interesting. So he's already he's made his mind up in my own mind. So he's clearly got some. Funny enough, on Twitter today, I saw a a comment, someone saying that he was asked about Jimmy Garner. And he said he hasn't had an impression because Jimmy's been injured. So but he wants to. He wants to see what he's got. Um, And there was a lot of talk last year about, you know, Matic coming on and doing things for the last 20 minutes. And I know around where I was seating. Uh, we've got some old school kind of supporters where I sit. And a lot of them were saying, you know, Jimmy Garner can do that. You know, we yeah. would like to see Garner come on for the last 15, 20 minutes playing in that Matic role. 
and he'll have more, you know, more pace, more energy, and all the rest of it. Let's give him a chance and see what can happen. So I think there's a, a little bit of, of hope for the youth players with um, Ten Hag giving them chances. I agree with what you're saying. I think you know Rashford, Martial, Sancho, particularly, they look they look very keen. They look like they're they're playing football. The interaction's very good. Um, you know um, that's positive, particularly with the season all three of them had last year, which were disappointing. So that's good news. Um, you know he's obviously after De Jong because we, we're missing someone in that midfield. But as you said, that gives the like of the likes of um, Savage Nick Bell a chance to prove what they can do, and they've done well. Yeah, yeah, no, they have. Um, one thing I'm more optimistic about with Ten Hag than I was with Van Gaal. So a lot of people are making the comparison. They both come from Ajax. The philosophy, the way that they implement the philosophy is different. We've talked about this a lot um, away from podcasts, that at least um, Ten Hag seems to be an encourager of instinct, which is a massive thing for United. Um, so we'll see. You never know with preseason. You know, with Van Gaal's first preseason, it looks like we're going to be playing instinctive. I don't, don't even know what football you call that. There was one um, time... Was it, was it Ferguson describing? It was either Milan or Red Star when they came to United in the either I think Milan's friendly was eighty eight or eighty nine, and the Red Star was obviously ninety one. And he called it football from outer space. That's what I think like Van Gaal's first preseason was like, and then then it wasn't. I mean, certainly Ten Hogs hasn't been reinventing the wheel. You you know what these players are capable of. It's very much a system that isn't unfamiliar on the eyes, and we'll just have to wait and see. Um, what it's like in a couple of weeks when the season gets underway. Um, he talks about the structure, Tony. I want to talk to you about this. Obviously, Travis Binion was the youth team manager that won the Youth Cup last season. He's kept his job. There's been a lot of internal restructuring there, um, but he's, he's been appointed head of player development as well. Mark Dempsey's leading the under-23s. Uh, Cochrane went. Um, he's already left the club. Paul McShane's been appointed into a professional development phase role. Um Obviously, Nicky Butt left a while back, and there was a, a long period where he, not everyone knew what was going on with the youth system because you know different coaches were coming in, head coaches, you know Van Gaal, Van Mourinho wasn't like there's was a lot of attention being put on that um, area of the club. Where do you feel um, the direction is at the moment? Is it strong? Is the is the youth cup a, an indication of strength, or, um, or are there still problems down there? I wouldn't say there was problems. I think there's some challenges that all the clubs are facing. For example, Brexit's a good example and an, and an interesting place to start. You know, historically, since around, I would argue, the year 2000-ish, just after the academy system started, um, we started going abroad for young players. And we've got a history of doing that right through to about 2018, where we would, 2018, 2019, where we'd, we'd bring, I don't know, three to five players from, from Europe um, and we'd integrate them into the squad. And so that last group included the likes of um, Gerardo and Fernandez and, and you know, uh, Hansen Aaron and one or two others, Ganacha. And so that group came through and now we can't do that anymore. It's, it's, it's illegal under Brexit rules to, to uh, poach, not poach is the wrong word, but to um, offer um, contract scholarships to um, 16-year-old boys from other countries. Um, Scotland and Northern Ireland um, not included. And as a consequence, we've had to then, if we want to develop our academy, we have to look from within the UK. And obviously every other club's the same. 
and so from that it means that your your scouting network is different it means that your scouting network is now looking at 16 year olds from other countries without being able to do anything until they're 18 um because then they're an adult and and it's a different conversation um and they can come across and sign professional contracts or 17 18 they can sign professional contracts so so the whole scouting system is different um and the view the view to when you see people is very different and of course because those countries within brexit if there's a a norwegian lad who's got a lot of talent then theoretically a german club can snap them up at 15 16 and we can't so we, we are hugely disadvantaged now um in terms of that and to be fair the quality of players um in scotland and northern ireland because of the leagues they play in means that we have to be very very good on our scouting um to find those those really great players amongst you know a whole bunch of others that perhaps look great in their local leagues but taking the step up to a club like manchester united is a is a different conversation so so straight away you're starting to think okay how's that scouting going to be re re-examined and reorganized so there's a challenge for us, um, which is just the last couple of years. Um, in addition, you've had COVID and, and you've had the, the lockdown, which has made things incredibly difficult to do all these things. Um, I know for a fact that a lot of the United coaching staff have not been allowed back in Carrington for three years, and that's people who work there. So that's that's been a and, and by the way, that's a that's a, a United decision. That's not a, um, a government decision. That's just United being incredibly careful about how many people are, are allowed back into Carrington. I mean, supporters are still not allowed back. So they're minimizing that as well. And that has to upset the infrastructure because certain coaches who who were once there doing whatever they were doing, they can't do that, or they're doing it by Zoom or they're doing yeah. it virtually or whatever. And that's, and that's just, that must be incredibly, you know, up, not upsetting in terms of the players are upset, but upsetting in terms of structure. Yeah. And then you've got all these changes with the coaching staff. And, and so as a consequence, there comes a point when you, and, and, and it depends on how you look at it, there comes a point in which says, where's the stability and where's the, you know, the consistency. So I like the idea of Binion being kept in his role. Paul, Paul McShane knows the club. He's come back in, he had a role last year as a player, a player kind of development coach. Uh, he's maintaining that or moving into a, a more long-term, sorry, a full-time role. Uh, Mark Dempsey's been around a little while. He's come and gone, come and gone, come and gone. So Mark knows the club. That's good news. Uh, we've lost a few few people like Neil Ryan to um, to bear with me. My alarm's just going off. Um, we've lost well, we've lost a couple of coaches, Neil Ryan and others, to different roles. Um, my, uh, Neil Wood as well, and that's okay. That's that's evolution. Um, so in terms of health. I think the health at the lower levels is really hard to gauge. Um, and also no one's got line of sight. Um, yeah. So, for example, um, because we're not able to see the, the 14, under 14s and under 15s and even the under 16s, there's just no, no line of sight any longer. Um, no one really knows what's going on. There's a few people on Twitter and on, on, on the forums that you'll see on social media. They, for some reason, they have access to intelligence and they tend to post stuff that gives you a little bit of insight. But for the most part, no one really knows what's going on at low level. So what you do have to do is you have to then look at the strength of the club from under 18 level, which is the FA Youth Cup. And the fact that um, we went through a long period, Wayne, where we underperformed consistently, um, underperformed. We were knocked out in the early stages on more than three or four occasions. And that's not just and that's just not good enough. Um, what we what we then had was the last the last season of Brexit. We got to the semi final. 
Um, I don't know if you remember, they were pl- both played at St George's Park in a one-off game. Yeah. We lost 1-0, 1-0 to City or Chelsea. We didn't win, lost by, by the odd goal. Um, and that was good that we got that far. And then last season, of course, we went that one step further and, and we were by far the best team in the competition, as proven by the clubs who were highly thought of, the Everton's, the Leicester's, the Wolves, and even the Nottingham Forest who defeated Chelsea. You know, we were, they were highly thought of clubs. We played really well. We, we had a very strong core and many of those players can play next season or this season. So that's fantastic and, and really augurs well. And, and, and the other great thing is that, you know, our record in the FA Youth Cup when it comes to player development, seven out of 10 historically, I think it's 69 point something percent. So seven out of 10 players who play in an FA Youth Cup winning team go on to play first team for United. And out of those players, um, they all have careers in the game. So if you're part of an FA Cup, FA Youth Cup winning team, that's a really good sign that one, you've got strong development practices going on, but two, the quality of players are going to are going to excel in in football. Now, of those percentages, three usually have a good career at United. So the question then is, out of last year's team, which of the three who potentially could have a really good career at United? Ganacho is the one that's broken through. But, you know, we've been talking about Charlie McNeil. We've been talking about, you know, Kobe Mainu, um, you know, Maxi Oideli. There's loads of names being, being talked about as, you know, having really good chances in that team. Isaac Hanson-Aaron we've mentioned. So it just, it's going to be really interesting to see, to see what happens. But winning the Youth Cup definitely is a, is a benchmark of the strength of an academy. I think so anyway. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. It's, a, it's an interesting thing because we've never... I mean, United have had many, many scenarios over the history, but they've never had a scenario where they've changed a manager straight after a youth cup winning team. So it's going to be very interesting to see how, how many of those, like you said, on average, seven players get in, get yep. a chance in the first team. So hopefully they will. Uh, we've got a question from Mike before we move on to the best youth team 11, Tony. Um, he asks about the Brexit rules changing, yeah. the Brexit rules for young players. Is there a way to get around it by using affiliated clubs? within the EU to have young players develop there. Is that possible? Um, hi, Mike. How are you doing? It's, uh, we've spoken before, obviously, so we know each other. Um, yes, there is. Um, you'll probably remember or you might be aware, Mike, that um, we had an affiliation with um, Antwerp many years ago and we would, be sent, and we would send um, our own youth players there for specific development. But also there was a number of African players and a couple of South American players from memory who also went there as this kind of holding space just to see if they were going to develop before we brought them into the UK. Now, it never really worked out in the way that we wanted it for a number of different reasons. And I think the big challenge is, yes, we could scout these players at 16, 17. But do they really then want to say, OK, I'm signing for Manchester United, but I've got to have two years at Antwerp. And, and that's the challenge, because that's not Carrington. That's not the United Youth Structure. That's the Antwerp Youth Structure. And so I think the real, um, the real challenge with doing an affiliation is that in the UK, we don't do what they do in Europe. For example, in Spain, where you know Barcelona's youth team plays in the third or the fourth division of Spanish football. So they have a completely different structure of how they bring kids through. We would have to find another relationship with someone like an Antwerp, which is very possible. But you then have to say, how do we, how do we, how do we pick the club to start with? So you're trying to pick a club that is not too good, if that makes sense, that they're going to, just going to take all the players anyway. 
yeah. the club's good enough that the the challenge the challenge for the for the young kids coming in is is something that's interesting and motivating and there's a there's a definite pathway and and i'm i'm not close enough to the club to know if they're thinking about that i'm not close enough to the club to think that have they identified um i i think personally i'm i'm a bit you know particularly with with um the way in which dutch lads tend to progress and and clubs like ix have got a fantastic youth record you know theoretically you'd say is there a second or a third division club in in holland that could be that that kind of affiliation would they be willing to do it because of course the other thing is if they're playing our youth players and then then we're taking them away then theoretically that's not opening up spaces for their own youth players yeah so it's very complicated um and and even though other english clubs have tried it i don't know i don't know where it's worked if, if someone said to me find a club out there that has got a track record of using an affiliated club as a breeding ground for their own youth players to bring into another country name that club because i don't know one so it so it's really hard to do you you've got to be you know you've got to, you've got to tick every single box 100% to make it work um and it, and it, so yes the answer is yes it can work you know it, it's it's possible but i think the risks are really high yeah um I do remember some great stories Danny Higginbottom telling me about when he went to Antwerp, obviously famously, yeah. the, the massive issue with Ronnie Wallwork with the referee. <laughs> um, but yeah, a different time, a different time indeed. Um, but yeah, interesting thoughts there, Tony. Um, so, all right, so let's get on to the um, meat of the matter, the all-time best Manchester United youth team 11. Um, start that comment again um even though i dropped it back up for some reason um okay before we get into the team i want to know the formation that you're going with first of all tony it looks it, no spoilers but you can see most of the the lineup behind you so it looks like it's a 442 um are we are we going with that i think so i mean when i looked at all the different players that, that i considered for the team it, it's it's scary it really is scary because you can play any formation you want. You can play four two four. You could do two three five. You could do four three three. You know, and and with and you know, I'm not, and I'm 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 going to add a through few couple of spoilers in there with a few of the players that we've got in the team. You could even not even play with a keeper. You know, you could just you could just say we don't need a keeper with this group because they're, they're just such a good crop of youngsters. So, which obviously we're not going to do. We will have a keeper. Um, so yeah, I've gone four four two. Okay, so who is the goalkeeper that you've, you've got in your net? So, so when, fun, funny enough, um, out of all the positions, this is the one that United really haven't haven't excelled in, in terms of youth development. So I, I came up with a handful of names. I came up with Mark Bosnich, who had a very good career after leaving United as a junior. Uh, he was here for a couple of years, and he obviously went to Villa and, and um, the Australian national team. Um, I looked at Gary Walsh, who was very well thought of by... Um, Ferguson before he um, before he had the injury in Jamaica and he got kicked in the head and suffered yeah. an incredible amount of confidence loss and, and that affected his game but he, because he was he was very well thought of. So the three players I kind of I kind of looked at to say well who would be my who would be in my team and the way that I've done this Wayne is I've picked a first choice and a backup um, so a subs bench if you like. So the three choices were um, Dean Henderson who I think of all the modern keepers uh, is an England international. Um, he is one where um, you could probably su suggest that there's a, a big chance 
that he could, he could uh, take to take the spot. Uh, David Gaskell, who um, is the youngest player ever to play for United when he came on in the Charity Shield in 1956 as a substitute for, for Ray Wood when he was injured. And he's our youngest ever player in, in a competitive game. Yeah. And the third player I thought of was Jimmy Rimmer, who um, was a very, very reliable goalkeeper and actually took over from Alex Stepney in the early 70s when um, Wilf McGuinness dropped Stepney and, and put Rimmer into the team. And funny enough, with, um, with those players, apart from Gaskell, you know, they were all very close to um, or, or had, you know, international experience. So they were the three kind of choices I was looking at. And in the end, I went for Jimmy Rimmer simply because of his longevity in the game, both with United, Arsenal and Aston Villa. Um, still one of the only goalkeepers to win um, European medals, European Cup winners medals with two different clubs, having, having only played you know limited minutes on, on both occasions. Yeah. Um, so I put Jimmy Rimmer as my number one choice. And the uh, funny enough, Tommy Doherty told me a story that because I asked Tommy, when you arrived at the club and you sold all these players and brought all these players in, do you have any regrets? And he said, yeah, I have two, uh, two regrets. And Jimmy Rimmer was one of them. He said, I should have kept him. I, I made the mistake of thinking that Paddy Roach was going to be good enough and he wasn't. And Alex Stepney was coming to the end of his career. And I thought I should have kept Jimmy Rimmer. Which, so on that occasion, I thought I've, I've chosen Jimmy Rimmer as my keeper with Dean Henderson as the backup. Yeah, that's a great thing. Jimmy Rimmer is a, exceptional man as well I love him to base he's great um and yeah one of those um things like you said not many have gone on to establish themselves in the United team but like you mentioned Bosnich earlier there, there are a couple there um who've gone on to have great careers it is funny because Busby's tendency was to break the world record for a goalkeeper <laughs> he just kept doing it um many times so it's the one area that he could never quite get um as he wanted I mean, and he did have that dream and by the way did fulfill it um of fielding an homegrown 11 which he did is it spurs 57 when he played the full 11 gaskelling goal um well they, they all came through the youth academy um okay so that's the that's the goalkeeper jimmy rimmer and who have you gone for in defence? You can see two names behind you, but um... yeah, um, I'm, they, these were names I'm playing. I'm playing with, so that this isn't actually my final team, although some of them okay. are. So, in terms of uh, fullback, what was really interesting when I was doing the research is that a lot of the fullbacks can blow, can play both sides, and they did play both sides. So, you know, people like um, Johnny Carey, for example, um, could play left fullback, and, and well, Johnny Carey could play anywhere. Yeah. But on the, on the right-hand side, I came up with, with four names that I thought were really good, solid names for the team. Um, uh, Shea Brennan had a long career at right-back, uh, originally an inside forward. Uh, I've mentioned Johnny Carey. Um, Gary Neville is the obvious choice. Uh, a, long, a long and illustrious career as United uh, right fullback and captain. And the other one was Mickey Duxbury, who I, I think is one of the most underrated fullbacks in our in our history um over 10 years at the club could play multiple positions you've got 10 caps for england at right back a really really good solid professional who would 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 not let us down in today's in today's team um and i and i would pick him in any normal team as, as a given however my choice of right back really because because of their captaincy capability would be gary neville and, and johnny carey and i've chosen neville over carey simply because I saw Neville more at international level and 
uh, first team level than I did. Um, although everybody tells me that Johnny Kerry was an amazing footballer. So my right back is going to be um, Gary Neville with Johnny Kerry as the backup. Okay. Um, and what about your centre-halves? Uh, I'll go left back first, if I may. Yeah, yeah, of course. So on left back, that was even harder because we've got, you know, people like Jimmy Nicholl, Phil Neville, um, Johnny Aston Sr., who was a wonderful left back, one of the first United players to win international caps after the war. Uh, incredibly well thought of, uh, and in another inside forward um, who was converted to left back by Matt Busby, um, Francis Burns, Lee Martin. You know, we've had some really, really good um, left backs. But the three that really stood out to me were um, Roger Byrne um, as a left back, um, Arthur Orbiston, and, and a player called Bobby Noble, who most people might not have heard of. Bobby Noble was uh, in the 64 Youth Cup team and was destined to win England honours. He was uh, in England on the 23s. He was he just broke into the United team in the 66-67 championship season. Um, he'd basically taken over from Shea Brennan and Shea Brennan even said in a newspaper article, you know, I'm probably going to have to retire because I'm never going to win my place back. And then unfortunately, Bobby was injured in a car accident and that wrecked his career. So... Um, so what I've chosen here as my choice is I've chosen uh, Roger Byrne as my number one choice with Bobby Noble as the backup. And Arthur Orbiston is so unlucky because like Mick Duxbury, he could walk in today's team very Dennis Irwin-like and not let anyone down. We've been very blessed. So yeah. my choice my choice at left back, and again, don't read too much into the stuff behind me because I'm just, I was playing with names on a, on a, on a spreadsheet. Uh, so my, my left back is, um, is um, Roger Byrne with Bobby Noble as the reserve. Okay. And the centre-halves? Um, two, two positions. So a load of names here I could have thrown around. Uh, Mark Jones, Jackie Blanchflower, Billy Garton, Graham Hogg, um, John O'Shea, um, even Gerard Piquet. Uh, you know, Gerard Piquet would be one that a lot of people would say, well, why isn't he in the team? Gerard didn't really do it at United. You know, he, he played 20 or 30 games, did okay, but I think the pace of the Premier League or the first division, whatever it would have been, uh, just wasn't wasn't right for his style of football. So that that kind of left me with with four players, uh, and those four players were Wes Brown uh, and Johnny Evans from the more more recent era. Um, and Wes Brown has to be one of the most technically gifted young footballers I ever saw at that in that position. Yeah. Um, you know, Ferdinand esque in his way of playing, but just unfortunately always had injuries, uh, hard as nails. Um, Johnny Evans, nearly 100 caps for, for Northern Ireland. I think a lot of people even now suggest that perhaps we let him go too soon and, yeah. and we should have kept Johnny Evans. That's a, that's a thought that many people have, and I, I kind of agree with that. Um, Bill Falks, uh, a stalwart of United throughout the 50s and 60s, um, six, seven hundred games for the club. Um, never let you down, if you know, not flash, but just did a job. And then Nobby Styles, World Cup winner. Um, aggressive, tenacious, could play in midfield, could play sweeper, could do a man-to-man -man marking job. You know, of all of those four players that I looked at, he's probably the most versatile. Um, so the two I chose as starters were Wes Brown and Nobby Styles. I thought they complement each other really well. And then the backups would be Bill Fouts and Johnny Evans. You've got two sweepers there in the back line. Yeah. 
It's pretty good. Pretty, pretty Tommy Dockety of you there, Tony, to go. Well, I just, I like the versatility of both those players. And, yeah. you know, Wes Brown can slot in at right back and, and Nobby Styles can move into midfield. And you've just got a lot of pace in that back line as well. You know, Roger Byrne was quick as hell. You know, Neville Neville wasn't a slouch in his heyday. And the, and the and Brown was quick. Styles was, you know, there's a lot of pace there as well. Yeah. Um, Brown, I, I completely agree with you. If, if not for injury, I think he would, there's a good chance he's got a shout to be the most naturally gifted centre off that we'd ever produced. He was unbelievable. Um, okay, so you've gone with any great Manchester United team has to have a couple of wingers in there. So um, let's start with your. In fact, no, let's start with the midfield, the, the actual central midfield before we get to the um, attackers. Um, Man, that was difficult. Yeah. It, do you know what? What was difficult was not was not picking the four because the four that I've got there, not many people would argue. It's then looking at who you're missing out. So, you know, I looked at, uh, you know, John Fitzpatrick, Wilf McGuinness, you know, Scott, Scott McTominay, you know, he, he divides opinions in modern, modern day fans. But, you know, he's played nearly 100 games in that position, uh, you know, that central midfield role. Um, Nicky Butt, I yeah. thought, wow, Nicky Butt, never, what an underrated player Nicky Butt was. You know, he would walk into most teams, um, most teams, you know, Tom Cleverley, Jesse Lingard, you know, there were so many players in that in that midfield area that it was just who to leave out. But in the end, four players, um, four players just kind of were a little bit, not even a little bit, they just head and shoulders above everybody else. And in, and you can probably see it in the background. They were uh, Duncan Edwards, Paul Scholes, Norman Whiteside and Johnny Giles. And we never really saw Johnny Giles do it at United because it was kind of shifted to the wing by Matt Busby on a lot of occasions. But it was only when he moved to Leeds and played the centre midfield role that he came to his own. Yeah, but he'd always always played in that midfield place in our junior teams um, to incredible effect. So he's he's one of the four. Norman Whiteside, you know, a boy among men, could do whatever he wanted to do. Fantastic left foot, he, terrace hero for. So many Stretford Enders and other and other fans uh, winning goals in in cup finals. Youngest player to score, youngest player to play in the World Cup. You know he broke record after record. Hard as nails. He moved from the front line to the to the midfield when when he lost a little bit of pace. Um, incredible player. Um, un unfortunately for both Johnny Giles and Norman Whiteside, there were just two midfielders that we produced who were better. And I don't think anyone would argue with either uh, Duncan Edwards, one of the best players in our history, or, or Paul Stoll's the same, taking those two midfield places. Both of them hard as nails. You know, yeah. they, they could manage themselves. Um, both score goals. Both dictate midfield. Both great personalities. Um, you know, talk about leadership qualities. They had that as well. Um, you know, you put them two together. Yeah. I, I, even in, even take away a youth team, you know, if you if you look at that four, you're only talking about Robson and Keane who could probably break into that four. Outside of you know that youth that that four in youth that you know, Edward Scholes, Charles and Whiteside, I can't think of any other club who's had four central midfielders as good as those four coming through midfield. I, I was going to say. Um... Just in in a theoretical response, you could have those four, and two players that you didn't mention 
that if they were the starting midfielder at any other club, they would be their best ever midfield. And I'm just the two names off the top of my head were Coleman and McGuinness. Yeah. You could have those as the starting midfielders, and they would have been, like I said, they were Arsenal's starting midfielders at that time, that they would have been considered the best in their history. Well, um, this high the standard is. Yeah, and and players that I didn't mention, you know, which were on, on my list when I looked at it, you know, Eddie Coleman, Billy Whelan, Sammy McRoy. I mean, one of my favourite ever players, Sammy Mack, he, he can't get into that team, not because he's not good enough, but because of the four players ahead of him. Yeah. You know, it's as simple as that. And then the other two players, you know, Clayton Blackmore had a really good career in midfield, although he was also considered as football. But the one player who, who I think was Darren Fletcher. I thought Darren Fletcher was an amazing midfielder. But again, yeah. are you going to drop Duncan or or Paul Scholes to put Darren in? No, and he, and Giles and Whiteside were probably a little bit just had that little bit more. Um, so if you if you were going to push me, which you haven't, but if you're going to push me for which other two would you go in? You could pick two from but McElroy and Fletcher, and they would never let you down. You know, yeah. amazing, yeah. amazing field. You could win a title with those in midfield today uh for sure um yeah edwards and whiteside they were two players that united signed like early teens or mid-teens and already as soon as they signed them the conversation was when are we putting them in the first team how long are they going to be spent rampaging through kids that are half the size um that's, even though that's a great comment wayne because both of those players made their debuts at 16. yeah um, yeah, so they didn't wait for very long at all. Um, okay, so another area United have been blessed because wingers, I mean, Busby was very fond of saying this, but it's definitely true. Wingers are like almost the most precious commodity in the game. So to develop them, as United did so often in many different ways, um, I mean, God, I'd, I'd dread to think of the names that you've left out here. Well, this was really interesting because I, I thought the same as you. I thought, you know what, this is going to be really interesting, even though people are going to have, you know, no surprises, I guess. But when I got to when I got to the right wing, I actually thought the right wing was actually easier than I thought it was going to be, because yeah. most of our right wingers in history we've bought in, we haven't actually developed. The three the three that I looked at were Ian Moyer, um, who was a, a, a really good little right winger. But his career kind of got stalled because he got injured one day and then they put Georgie Best in. And unfortunately, that was the end of Ian Moyer's career. Mm. Um, so so Bestie was was the right winger and David Beckham was the other obvious candidate. But after that, we haven't really developed, you know, right wingers in the same way that we've developed left wingers. So on the left, we've got the likes of Charlie Mitten. We've got the likes of Johnny Aston. You know, obviously Ryan Giggs, Mason Greenwood, David Pegg, Albert Scanlon, Kieran Richardson, um, Johnny Aston Jr. You know, there's a lot of players there that you could, you know, you can pick from. Um, but, you know, you could probably see it on the screen. It's very hard if you've got Best and Beckham on one side to have Charlton and Giggs on the other. And Bobby Charlton played five or six seasons of his career in the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s on the left wing for both United and... Um, and England. Um, so I've decided to put him on the left because otherwise he wouldn't have got in midfield over, over Duncan Edwards. And I wanted him in the team. So I've decided to put Bobby Charlton on the left wing with Ryan Giggs as the backup. But you could pretty much pick any of the others as the third choice. But my third choice would probably be Charlie Mitten because everything I've, re I've read about Charlie Mitten was he was an outstanding footballer in every single way. Um, and, you know, he would have entertained the crowds of today in a way that 
perhaps only only Giggs and Best could have done. Um, yeah. And if you've read his book, the you know Bogota Bandit, it's just a fantastic illustration of how good he must have been, and the frustration Busby must have had with him in terms of you know trying to trying to teach him tactics when he was a kind of free spirit. But um, yeah, so my wingers, uh, Bobby Charlton and George Best, no surprises. Um, I think I think it'd be hard pressed in any team to get better than those two. Ballon d'Or winners, two Ballon d'Or winners to come through our youth system. Um, not many clubs have got two youth players uh, as Ballon d'Or winners. Um, with Giggs and Beckham as backup, it's not a bad backup either. All mm-hmm. um, European Cup winners. Yeah, uh, every one of them. Um, you mentioned the right wing, and you, you're quite right. United have historically struggled there. In the, I think it's more to do with the class of '92, really, and how ridiculously blessed we were with wingers in that squad. You had Simon Davies, Ben Thornley on the left. You had Keith Gillespie on the right. Obviously, Giggs could play both sides, and he often did, and, and through the middle up front because they were... Obviously, Aidan... Um, Doherty. Doherty as well. Um, God, I mean, the, the list goes on. Gillespie, just a fantastic player. Played in the European Cup. Terry Cook, um, a little bit later, broke into the first team. I was looking the other day at the... Um, the game against Bolton in '95, where Cook looked like he was going to be a world beater. Um, but yeah, we were. It was a strange blessing around that time to have that many. And um, because, I mean, as we all know, wide plays are a precious commodity in the game. Uh, but yeah, that just you can't argue with that pick there, Tony Best and Charlton. Well, I was um, trying to look for players who played 50 first team games. So you could actually say you're comparing like for like. So yeah. Unfortunately, the Terry Cooks, you know, didn't didn't play that many games, and and, and Adrian Doherty, of course, uh, was injured before he got to the first team. So yeah. I kind of, you know, had to discard them. But even if even if they played a hundred games, you know, you still got to be better than Best and Charlton to get into the team, and that's and that's difficult for you know senior internationals. So yeah, um, so you we mentioned goalkeepers and how difficult it is, and because you know Busby would usually buy them and there'd usually be such an established presence in, in goal anyway that because it's a singular position you, it's very difficult to rotate yeah. so that's probably a big reason for why these players didn't get um, the chances that they could have done. I mean we know the likes of Kevin Pill Walsh went on to have a great career when once he left, well like a good career once he left United he was great at Middlesbrough um, Kevin Pilkington had a long um, career Steve as well Pears. But... Steve Pears had a very good career at Middlesbrough as well uh, yeah. for, you know for Eight nine years or something, he was up there, had a testimonial up there. He played a lot of games for Middlesbrough. Very yeah, and 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 Anderson, um, by the looks of it, probably yeah. away from United. Well, maybe away from United, but he'll probably have a great career as well. So it's not like they don't develop good goalkeepers. Like we already mentioned, Jimmy Rimmer went on to win the European Cup. It's just that with it being a singular position, it's quite difficult. Yeah. And that brings me to the the point about the forwards is that it's a kind of like a similar story there because goal scorers are like the second most difficult thing to get in football after a winger, the goal scorer is, is so difficult to create um, because they, everyone's always talked about them being born with the mythical instinct of being able to score goals. That's something as old as time, as true today as it was in the 1950s. Um, so United haven't always developed a lot of great strikers. However, when you look at a youth 11, they still developed uh, enough that you would say that's the envy of most clubs. So um, who have you picked in your front line? Well, again, looking at the forwards, there was some there was some choices. We had people like Brian Kidd, um, Andy Ritchie, um, you know, played played really well in our forward line. Um, I've mentioned uh, um, 
Welbeck, he could also play up front. Mason Greenwood's played, you know, along the forward line at centre forward as well. Um, people like Johnny Morris. So we've we have had players who are, have you know, Alan Gowling's another one. So we've had players who have done really well up front. Um, but the but the ones that have really stood out made it a, a relatively a relatively easy choice. Um, and there is one player that I will talk about in addition. So I came up with with four names, which I then just had to work out which two would start and who would be back up. And the, the four names were um, Stan Pearson, who most people won't have heard of, but he he joined United through the Salford um, the Salford Adelphi Lads Club um, before the war, and as a as a seventeen year old, and was almost drafted immediately into the first team. He was that good. Um, he's Career was upset by the war, obviously, but he still scored, you know, a hundred odd goals in three or four hundred games for the club. Part of the forty-eight team uh, who won the FA Cup also won a league title in fifty-one-two. Um, a very underrated player, from everything I've read, um, made the team tick up front. More of a yeah. more of a creator for the likes of Rowley and others, but had a great had a great um, a great um, goal scoring record. In fact. He's one of the, the few players who scored a, a hat-trick in an FA Cup semi-final. Um, yeah. So he's in the four, um, along with um, Dennis Violet, who was one of the, the spearheads of the Busby Babes throughout the 50s and early 60s. He still holds the goal-scoring records in a season, 32 league goals, uh, which is still yet to be beaten by any by any player in a, in a single season. And that's, and that's league goals, not total goals. Yeah. Um, uh, Quick, fast as lightning, great partner to, to the fantastic Tommy Taylor in the Busby Babes um, yeah, halcyon years. Um, and then alongside the other two players I thought about were Mark Hughes, who's probably the strongest, most bravest, most physical forward that I've ever seen play the game. And I'll include you know, Joe Jordan and Mick Harford and others in that category. He was just a beast. I would, And players hated playing against him. Funny enough, if you ask Paul Parker, Paul Parker always played well against Mark Hughes, and Mark yeah. Hughes hated playing against Paul Parker, um, and that's because Paul didn't play the physical game with him. He, he would just he was just quick and nippy, and would you know out sprint him, out jump him, quicker to the ball, all that sort of stuff. So Mark never used to have great games against Paul, but um, Mark Hughes was a scorer of great goals. Um, I don't think anybody who saw Hughesy play will will forget some of the volleys that he scored in big games. Uh, Liverpool in the semi-final of the FA Cup. He scored in finals. Amazing player. Um, romantic goals as well, wasn't he? He, was like, he had a sense of timing. It was like there was always a sense of romance with Mark Hughes. Unbelievable. And if anybody wants to see Mark Hughes, you know, pure excellence, go on the go on YouTube and look at his goal for Wales against Spain. Oh. Uh, he, did, he did a volley that is just exceptional. Yeah. Um, and so... He, he was obviously one of my four. And I've also included Marcus Rashford. Um, you know, he's, he's 100 goals for the club. He's, he's um, had, a, had a great career up to this point. He didn't, didn't perform well last season, but that happens to players. Um, fast, quick, um, scores, scores in big games, England international, um, and um, still a lot to give, I think. Still, still a, a big career ahead of him. So they're the four players I went I went for: uh, Stan Pearson, Mark Hughes, Marcus Rashford, and Dennis Violet. 
Um, the fifth player I considered was Alex Dawson, who has an amazing goals to games ratio. Um, off the top of my head, it's 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 the, the highest in our history. I think he scored something like 40 or 50 goals in 70 or 80 games, uh, which is better than Van Nisroy, better than Ronaldo. So an amazing ratio. But he didn't just have the quality of the four players that, that I chose. So what I've done here is, is um, on, the, on the chart is I put Hughes and Pearson just behind Violet and Rashford. So I put Mark Hughes in a kind of 10 role, Dennis Violet in a kind of nine role, spearheading the attack. Marcus Rashford is the backup to Violet. Stan Pearson is the backup to Hughes. And then I've got two players that I think both can score goals, both can bring others into play, fast, physical. It kind of ticks all the boxes. And if you can imagine Mark Hughes with Charlton, Best, Edwards and Scholes behind him, um, there's enough physical power there. And if you look at Violet and his pace and he's got Best, Charlton, Edwards and Scholes behind him, those those front two will just score a shed load of goals. Yeah. It's quite intimidating. You've got Styles, Noble. <laughs> You know, Edwards, Hughes, they're just not going to lose a fight. <laughs> so, well, that's that's true. So, so the team is uh, Jimmy Rimmer, Gary Neville, Roger Byrne, Wes Brown, Nobby Styles, Paul Scholes, Duncan Edwards, George Best, Bobby Charlton, Mark Hughes and Dennis Violet. And that team has pace, international quality, you know, Ballon d'Or excellence, physicality, um, winning mentality. You know, you you name all that, you tick all the boxes that what makes a winner, and none of those players lack any of that that at all. Yeah. So, and that's and that's and that's from players we've developed. You know, yeah. every one of those came through the youth system. Every one of those has been developed by the likes of you know Walter Crickmer and Jimmy Murphy and Eric Harrison, um, and uh, Paul McGuinness. You know, all of those people have been instrumental in developing what I think is a is an exceptional team. Yeah, but Edwards would have certainly won a Ballon d'Or as well. There's no question about he was, that. I think he was equal second or equal third in the season before he died. So, yeah. you know, so he was already well thought of in European circles, even though he was only 20 years old. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's always a special case for this. Uh, Ravel Morrison always gets mentioned. Um, I know he didn't play enough in the first team to get um, to get the nod in your team, but everyone always talks about him as possibly the most gifted um, player, you, you've certainly spoken about him in those terms. He's he's recently just signed for um, Wayne Rooney's DC United, and I think as someone said he's his seventeenth club, so he's obviously been around a bit. He's obviously had a, a lot of struggles um, in his life and a lot of struggles to settle down. Um, but obviously, anyone who saw him play for the youth team, and this is a team that had a World Cup winner in it, in Paul Pogba, a future World Cup winner. Morrison was just the best player by a distance in that side. And you've spoke about him in terms of, I mean, Ryan Giggs, like the, the two that have stood out for, for you when you've been watching youth football. Is it, I mean, is it a case of romance? Do we look back and think, oh, what if with Morrison? That, because, it, I mean, I, I tend to share the same opinion as you in terms of looking streets ahead like they're, they're an adult playing a kid's game. Morrison was that. To this generation, to that generation that Giggs was to that one, um, talk to us about Ravel Morrison and how unique he is in in United's youth history. How do I say this? 
every now and again you and everybody's different okay everybody sees something different so you you watch a, a youth game and i've been watching youth games since the 70s and every now and again you see a youth player and you look and you go oh my god and it doesn't happen very very often you go they're going to be a dead cert they are they are going to be a player in the game now the only thing that you don't know at that level is well here's what you do know because you're watching them play technique is a given so you know they've got the technique so the thing you then worry about is physicality and you're saying are they going to manage the physical side of the game well they're often you know the likes of edwards i never saw edwards obviously but the likes of norman whiteside's a good example and ryan Giggs is a good example so when you see those two players hit the first team and you see them just taking the mick out of you know professional footballers have been in the game 10 years automatically you just know that physicality is not going to be an issue mm. so you could kick gigs all over the pitch which they try to do if they could catch him and it was never an issue they try to kick norman white so he just kick you back so straight away you thought hang on a minute physicality is not an issue attitude is the next one well attitude's not an issue so you, you start ticking these things off wayne and and then you then you talk about the last one which is can they handle the pressure and you know, they had this nonchalance. All of those players had this nonchalance, which was, you know, Ryan Giggs is a good example. They asked him once, did you ever get nervous for a game? He went, no, why would I get nervous? It's just a football match. You know, this is, you know, finals when other people were, you know, bestie was the same. He, he never got nervous. So, you know, there's a, there's a, an emotional intelligence there. Ravel never got nervous before a game. He was like, you know, he took everything in his stride. So then you're going to say, what's, he, what's not going to make them make it then? Because they've got, they've got the physicality. They've got the football intelligence, the tactical intelligence. They've got the um, they've got the attitude. They've got the technique. The only thing that's going to make them fail is um, three things. One is luck. Two is injury, which you know you luck is around managing decisions, and you know you've got certain clubs who go through managers, you know, like a lot of players during United in the seventies. There was probably two or three players there that kind of got lost because we had so many managers at the same time and their career didn't really go the way it was. Um, you know, Andy Ritchie, you could argue, might be one of those. Yeah. Um, but going back to your question, you, and then the third point is, are there some external stuff going on in their life that we don't know about that's going to affect them? Um, and Best had a little bit of that that we found out in later life. You know, the Northern Ireland situation, his drink problem, you know, all of that affected his career later on. And we didn't see it early on, but we saw it later on. Um, and and you look at players, and with Morrison, he was that player. You know, since Giggs, Whiteside was one. Hughes, Hughes and Nicky Butt, I always thought they could make it, but they were they were different kinds of players. They they didn't have the oh my god yeah. excellence. They didn't they did they didn't turn your head in a way that a best would. Or a white side, if you know what I mean, they, or a gigs would, they wouldn't thrill you in the same way. Um, white side and, and and Hughes were just obviously, and Nicky Bart were just dead certs to make the team because of their their approach to the game. But Morrison, he was something else. I, I've never seen the things he did on a football pitch, and it wasn't selfish play. He would he would bring. He was a team player. He he had everything. Wayne, he had. I've never seen. You know, I was watching him at fourteen and fifteen, and you know, he would t beat a whole team and then ask Lionel Cole to make a 30-yard run and then pass to Lionel Cole to put the ball in the back of the net because he couldn't be bothered doing it himself. And he didn't yeah. need to do it himself. You know, he, he was he was a team player. 
he was um he was gifted in in his passing his his tactical awareness was just out of this world but when he had the ball he could do anything and and i remember standing at grounds with friends who you, you look at each other when he just did something and you're asking yourself did i just see what i just saw and they're looking at you going exactly the same thing. Yes, you did, because I just saw it and I'm asking you the same question. And then we have a little giggle saying, I've never seen that before. You know, mm. and I, there's a YouTube video of him in training with England under 21s where a corner comes in, and perhaps you've seen it. And he puts it in the top corner from a corner, a volley in the corner with a flick. I don't, you know, his leg goes like this. I don't know if you've seen the, the video. Yeah. yeah. And and every everyone just stands and look at him. And that's his, you know, and that's his his England youth colleagues. That's, how in the hell did you do that? And, yeah. and he was like, he was doing that all the time. He was an exceptional footballer that if he didn't have his off the field issues would have been up there and he would have been in this team. I would have found a space for him in this team. Um, he And he could play anywhere in that front six. He really could. So you'd probably be pushing him into the, you know, he might take Marcus's position and I might swap, you know, put Hughie up front and bring, you know, someone else back down. And, but he would, he would be in there because, the world was the world was there for him to take and unfortunately um some of the stuff in his private life affected his his, his footballing career but having said that he's a he's he's played international football he's played 200 games you know so he's not he's not had a a, a, a bad career he just perhaps hasn't had the career that he could have had and unfortunately he didn't have the career at manchester united that we all would have wanted him to have but yeah. but wow what a player. Never seen anything like it. Never nothing since gigs. Yeah. Uh, and and you talk about wingers, you know, if you know, he could have been our right winger for the next 10 or 15 years. Because he had everything. Yeah. He was um yeah, I you've articulately um talked through. He's he's basically like one of those players where you don't usually get it at you team like you mentioned button news so you sort of knew that they had the temperament beckham you sort of knew if beckham developed a little bit physically that yeah. if he could hold his own that you knew that he'd be a first team player but with morrison it was like you would watch him you would watch the game to watch him rather than oh i know that that player is going to be good you would turn up like it's the same way that someone would turn up in a, a game today to watch ronaldo because you had gone to watch the the theater not necessarily i'm you know, i'm talking about old ronaldo but you, they still do today they still go today because they want to watch the spectacle of watching ronaldo play that was what it was like then because you're watching ravel morrison which what seeing him play for manchester united of all clubs and seeing someone of yes. a club like that and be that far in front um even in a team i mean at that time you had lingard who was quite highly rated um tony cliff who was very highly rated and pogba of course who was the the Will Keane scoring all the goals. So you had a player who in that side was still seen as someone far above those players. And um yeah, you know, wish him all the best. Wayne Rooney obviously knows him well and he's proven himself to be a good man manager at Derby. Um we'll see how that goes. Um but it's interesting to talk about that 2011 team because what I was just saying about what what's gonna make a player. I think that team personifies everything that I was talking about. You had Paul Pogba, who on his day could do anything on a football pitch, yeah. but his problem was inconsistency. You know, and that was Ferguson's big issue with him. You know, he would go and watch him and he'd be outstanding and then do an average game and then have an anonymous game. And yeah. that, he was doing that at 16, 17, 18. He was inconsistent. And so that inconsistency always, always means, for me anyway, there was always a doubt. 
with Jesse, he had the temperament, the skill, tactically. Um, I still think Jesse Lingard is one of the most tactically astute footballers I've ever seen. He's yeah. running around the ball in his position. He's to, to receive the ball is skulls esque. Um, with Jesse, it was always about his size and whether or not he would grow. That was always the challenge with him. Will Keane unfortunately got injured, so he he had a good career ahead of him. Um, Tunnicliffe was always a you know outstanding, but you always thought what's going to happen when everyone catches up to him in size. Yeah. So all of these players, you know, and th and then some of the others who were under the radar, they're the ones who've actually had the great careers. The Michael Keynes, the Sam Johnstons. You know, they're the ones who who have actually gone on to to have really good Premier League careers. Um, and that's not saying Pogba and Lingard haven't. Of course they have. You know, they've played 200-odd games for United and, you know, that, that's that's exceptional. But you, you kind of think if, that, if, if they'd had what Giggs had had in terms of temperament or in terms of consistency or what Skulls had or some of these other players, you know, Lingard and Pogba would have, would have been, you know, 10-year careers at United. And it's the same with Morrison, if he could have handled those off-the-field stuff. Um, and the way that Bestie couldn't do at 26 and 27 either. If they could have handled their, their, their off-the-field activities, they could have had an amazing career. And it's a shame. But that 2011 team, wow, what a team. Yeah. And um, what a team yours was, Tony, that 1-11. Jesus. It's, um, it would take some beating in any youth academy um, throughout the world. I mean, even the... Your, your second 11 would be, well, it'd be winning a league title today for sure. Let me just read out the second 11 because that's interesting. So the second 11 is Dean Henderson, Johnny Carey, uh, Bobby Noble, Billy Fouts, Johnny Evans, David Beckham, Johnny Giles, Norman Whiteside, Ryan Giggs, Stan Pearson and Marcus Rashford. So that, that's not a bad, that's not a bad youth 11. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's definitely challenging for the title, isn't it? That's how good that time side is. If Imagine Giles and Whiteside in midfield, blinking hell. You wouldn't want to face those two in midfield for a start. <laughs> and Beckham in well, the midfield's really interesting. You know, Giggs, Whiteside, Giles and Beckham. That's a really strong midfield. Yeah, can you imagine, like, facing Skulls and Edwards and then they come off and Whiteside and Giles come on? Oh, good <laughs> grief. <laughs> um, a little anecdote for you before we go. I remember, I don't know if you remember the 1992 League Cup game where um, we were playing Leicester City and we beat them 5-1 on the night. I don't know if you remember the game, but um, there was a young fullback for Leicester making his debut uh, at right back. And um, they, they um, we, we, we had Lee Sharp skinning him, just pushing the ball past him and skinning him, um, you know, time after time after time so um this kid was just they were about three or four nil down or something and this kid was just he, he was you know you could see his head was all his head was gone so ferguson brought um brought um sharp off and then put gigs on so now this kid who just who'd just been given a, a roasting by sharp suddenly had uh, gigs to face so the manager did the right thing and, and swapped him over to the left fullback. The only problem was Pinchelskis was on the right wing. <laughs> in the end, the manager, I, I'm, I'm probably got a couple of detail wrong, but eventually the manager just unfortunately had to substitute the kid. So his debut, he had to face Ryan Giggs, Lee Sharp and Andre Pinchelskis in a 5-1 defeat. And, I, and I, it was just, so you can imagine what a young, you know, bringing young kids into the team, if they're going to face a midfield like that. You know, you yeah. just, you're just looking at your head and you're shaking yourself and saying, what chance have I got? Um, yeah, especially that United side with those three at that time. They were, um, 
they, they, I think they, they, you could have said that they were three, the three best wingers in the country anyway. So yeah, well in fact, yeah, without question, man. Yeah, oh, Tony, great, great team. Um, if anyone, if, if you're watching back, please feel free to um, name your youth eleven in the comments and join in on social media as well and tell us what yours would be. We'd be um, happy to have that discussion with you. Um, um, that's it for, for this podcast. If you've been watching live on YouTube or Facebook, um, feel free to like, subscribe. If you're watching the replay, say hello in the comments. We do um, still comment and reply to the comments as well. Like and subscribe. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please um, subscribe to that and give us a review on the platform you're listening on. Uh, tonight's podcast, on the Friday night podcast, about two players who didn't quite get onto Tony's bench, Lee Lawrence and Phil Marsh, but they'll be on tonight's podcast with Keen Freeney. My apologies. Tell them they were nearly there. They were, they were in my thoughts. They know that. You've had that fight with Lee on social media before. I'm not going to bring it up again now. Uh, but they'll be on the podcast tonight with Keen. Um, so, yeah, be sure to give that a watch. I think it's 7 o'clock it'll be on. It might be a little bit later, but look on the talk of the Devils. Um, Twitter feed and also Keen's Twitter feed for that. We will be back very shortly. And I'm pretty sure Tony will be joining me for some podcast this season. We've got a few tricks up our sleeve with things we're going to talk about. But yeah, um, just left to be said, thank you for your time, Tony. Really appreciate that. Really great to talk football with you. Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please give it a like and subscribe, and we will be back very shortly. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport, powered by fans.